Hi, and welcome to the Working Differently in Extension podcast. I'm Bob Birch. Great to have you along for today's episode. We're going to be talking about a really uh, interesting program from Michigan State University um, that I found out about from an article in the Journal of Extension in the April 2018 edition. The article is titled, Using Dialogue to Engage Agricultural Audiences in Cooperative Learning about Climate Change, a Strategy with Broad Implications. Uh, There's a lot to talk about here, and I'm really anxious to get to it, so let me introduce the authors of that article. Julie Dahl is an outreach specialist with the Kellogg Biological Station, uh, long-term ecological research program, and also the Department of Plant, Soil, and Microbial Sciences at Michigan State University. Uh, Cheryl Eschbach is an evaluation specialist at Michigan State University Extension, and James D. Decker is a field crop educator for Michigan State University Extension. Welcome to the program, everybody. It's really great to have you here. Um, let's start talking about um, sort of the program uh, that spawned the article, the Carbon Energy and Climate Series. Julie, how did that come about? Yeah, thanks, Bob. So we, uh, a number of us who are affiliated with the field crops team and other ag groups uh, with MSU Extension participated in a regional program that was hosted at the Kellogg Biological Station. It was a really neat program. Um, One of the primary sponsors was the North Central Region SARE organization. So that stands for Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education. Um, It's a granting and an education program through the USDA. And at that professional development uh, series, the title of that was the Carbon Energy and Climate um, Workshop or Professional Development Event. We had a wonderful two and a half days talking about these topics with folks from all across the North Central region. At the end of the meeting, the organizers had had the uh, foresight to schedule time that each state who was represented there could meet together in small groups and think about how to incorporate what we had learned into any next steps or into the programming across um, each individual state. I had been doing um, work for a few years at that point with a colleague, uh, Claire Bodie, interviewing farmers and agricultural professionals and holding focus groups across the state, talking to them about climate change and agriculture. and we were, we were hoping to continue some of that work and enhance it. And so when we met as a state team, we decided that we would take the focus of the professional development and reach out to agricultural stakeholders across the state of Michigan. Um, and so that was really, really how it started. Many thanks to North Central uh, and CR Sarah for their support. So Cheryl, you guys brought together these different stakeholders uh, in, in kind of conversation or dialogue. How, how did you select which stakeholder groups to, uh, to target, to bring together? Sure, well, we're to some of our most trusted relationships at first with fruit growers and field crop producers and some of our state and federal government agency staff. They were groups we had already worked with previously with various programming, but we knew with the topic of climate change that it was going to require a different approach than just going in and maybe offering some education to those stakeholders. So that's where we eventually get to the fishbowl technique to engage them. But these really were um, what we saw as 
a diverse group of growers and producers and we did have some relationships already with them and we were committed to helping these groups in the state prepare and um, adapt and mitigate climate change. So I would say that it was our usual professional development audience, but then we took a different strategy with them. In a state like Michigan, you know, it, we have such a diverse agriculture, um, you know, a wide number of crops and, and different livestock and whatnot. Um, so it, we see this and we saw this really as kind of the first step, right? So we targeted field crop uh, farmers and then some fruit producers in a certain region of Michigan. Um, but there's a lot of farmers we'd love to engage uh, in this conversation over time. A lot, of, a lot more agricultural um, sectors that uh, need to have their voices heard in this conversation too. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm glad you brought that up, Julie, um, actually, because one of the interesting findings uh, for me of the, the project and um, what we noted in the paper is that it really was apparent through our conversations with these different stakeholder groups that the way that they think about climate change and adapting to climate variability on the farm um, is in many ways driven by their production systems. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't one of the original questions that we necessarily asked uh, when going into this project, but I think it's something that came out of those conversations. And so um, I can only imagine that if we did reach out um, to other sectors of agriculture in the state, um, or if you went to another state and looked at what uh, agriculture looks like there, that you might see some um, really different circumstances and, uh, and different strategies for adaptation to climate change based on that. So whether we went to vegetables or ornamental systems or forage and livestock, uh, all of which we also have in Michigan, I think the story might be uh, even different. That's really interesting, James. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Really, uh, I'm interested in maybe what, how you felt about um, growers uh, and egg producers uh, I don't know if attitudes is the right word, but I'm going to use it, attitudes towards uh, climate change discussion before the, the dialogues. Um, and was there a difference between, is that what you're speaking to, a difference between kind of how field crop people thought of it and how fruit growers thought of it? Yeah, yeah, that was the biggest distinction um, that I think we noticed in the process of this program uh, was between the field crop producers and the fruit producers. And um, for me, the difference seemed to be uh, based on kind of their cropping cycle and the uh, chronology that's involved in that. So um, for field crop producers that I work with, uh, most everything is focused on the annual cropping cycle. Um, and so they're really uh, working to kind of uh, adapt on a year-to-year -year basis, and they're also very used to uh, changing up their system from one year to the next. Whereas for fruit producers, um, they are planning in the long term. They want to know when they make a decision for, say, a variety that they're going to select to grow, that that decision is going to be something that is robust for 10 plus years. And so um, they seem to be much more interested in kind of long-term trends and collecting data uh, specific to their farm, the microclimates that they're working in, for example, um, to be able to make those informed decisions. So I think that um, uh, there was certainly a difference there, and it, and it really seemed to be driven by um, the, the cycles on the farm and, and the cropping systems that those growers are engaged in in many ways. And I, to add to that, James, 
It's so interesting. You know, here we are in June of 2018. And at the time of these meetings, um, you know, five, five or so years ago, we knew a lot less about farmer attitudes on climate change um, than we do now. So there have been some really great um, projects throughout the Corn Belt, for the most part, um, looking at how Midwestern farmers are thinking about climate, climate change, climate variability, what they're doing to adapt, etc. And I would say that from when I started this work back in, you know, 2009-2010 up to now, there's definitely a different tone to the conversation in that farmers are, um, in my experience, much more able to um, acknowledge that the climate is changing. Um, they think about greenhouse gases on the farm. For example, uh, this week I've been attending a sustainable agronomy conference hosted by the Tri-Societies in Madison, Wisconsin. And we heard from farmers, we heard from certified crop advisors at this conference. You know, they um, spoke about what they're doing to reduce greenhouse gases on their farm, what they're doing to make their farms more resilient, what they're doing to store more carbon in their soils. So I feel like, um, you know, just even in this short window since we've done this work, we know a lot more about uh, how farmers are perceiving climate change. One of the things that the article mentioned in terms of uh, sort of a conclusion was how important an interdisciplinary team was. Um, maybe I'll ask Cheryl to start talking about that because, you know, Cheryl, you're an evaluation specialist. I'm sure you're involved in lots of different projects, but um, in a different way than maybe uh, directly uh, with uh, our audiences like uh, like educators or specialists might be. How important do you think that interdisciplinary team was? Well, I think the interdisciplinary team contributed to the co-learning, just as I had spoke about some trusted relationships with producers and growers. We also have specialists and faculty at Michigan State University that are very specialized in their areas. And so it became a, like a matching of the different audiences and the researchers who needed to hear from those growers and producers. So by expanding out the invitation list so that the MSU could listen as part of that fishbowl about what growers and producers were seeing and the needs that they have. Um, you know, not one person or one specialist can come up with those solutions. So hearing, um, I think, the different types of cropping systems and the different conversations that happened, it enables the um, MSU faculty and specialists to come back together and even talk about what they just heard, what they might be able to do to respond. And I know that as an evaluation specialist, my involvement was really as a facilitator, you know, collecting the information and sort of documenting these conversations in a way that we could go back with some rigor and look at themes. So many times we do a needs assessment process and we collect good information, but maybe we don't document that. And so this technique with the fishbowl and using an interdisciplinary team allowed us to really document a wide range of ideas that then we really had to go back and distill down to, you know, what do we want to do now? So I think that's the value with adding more voices and, and sort of connecting dots between groups. I think the issue too of climate change, the fact that it is so complex and multifaceted um, made it even more necessary to have that interdisciplinary team because um, there's so many uh, aspects of 
agriculture production and these farm operations or, um, you know, regulation and oversight um, or service to the, to the industry coming from our agribusiness folks that we worked with um, that could be affected by a climate change and variability, um, that it's really important to have uh, a wide range of expertise in the room and folks that can kind of uh, have a meeting of the minds and, and share their individual experiences and expertise to, to help folks kind of sort through these issues. And, and I think it's part of why um, climate change is, is overwhelming and why it has taken some time for uh, agriculture as an industry and individuals in the industry to kind of come to terms with some aspects of, of climate change is that when you think about something so large, as a climate, you know, first off, how could how could humans influence something that large? But if you get past that piece with with some of the science, um, it's just then uh, the trick of sorting out how is this going to potentially affect my farming operation or the industry as a whole, and and how do we uh, begin to start uh, assessing our risk, uh, adaptation, and mitigation processes? You know, where where do you begin with something that's so large and, and multifaceted? So having all those different experts uh, on the team really helped to, to break some of those things down. Can we talk a little bit about the, about the fishbowl? I, I think that was one of the really interesting parts to me. Um, I had been, I've learned about, you know, this technique uh, in uh, adult instructional methods, but um, I can't say that I'd ever heard of extension using a fishbowl method. So uh, Julie, can you talk a little bit about just, give people an idea of what we're talking about when we talk about that fishbowl method? I would absolutely love to because it is one of my favorite um, ways to facilitate a conversation and I will share a little bit of why. So um, there's a great short uh, piece on, on fishbowls that I would highly recommend to your listeners. Um, the citation is in our paper, but it's basically called fishbowls in the field and it, and it talks about you using this technique as a way to host conversations with farmers and others. So basically, when we think of a fishbowl, um, we can think of, you know, a group of people who are on the inside uh, um, of the room, inside of the, um, in a circle, sitting around, and they are asked a series of questions. They are facilitated uh, through a series of questions, almost like a focus group setting. Meanwhile, another group of people is on the outside of the room, uh, sitting and listening, uh, not asking questions, not commenting at all. Their job is to listen, to understand, to really try to hear the perspectives. This approach is very important when we might have different levels of perceived power in the room, where one group might not feel uh, empowered to share honestly, when we might be talking about a difficult topic, when maybe there's just folks in the room from really different uh, backgrounds that um, you know haven't spoken about a topic before. So it's a facilitation tool um, that really allows for some honest, respectful dialogue. And that's why we chose it. You, you know, I've modified it in different ways for, for different programs and you can read about a little bit how we modified it for this project as well. Um, but one of my favorite things is, is when we're, we were sitting around and we started off with the farmers just sharing their experiences on climate variability and how they're trying to, you know, react to it and, and adapt to it and manage it. Um, and we did that very purposely to give them um, 
a voice first off to really acknowledge their expertise and their, you know, on the ground experience with dealing with climate variability and changing uh, weather patterns. What was really fun was to see, for me at least, was to see, you know, a lot of the scientists and extension educators who were in the outer ring, you know, like taking notes and listening super intense, intensely, but, you know, like really wanting to jump in and, and talk as well, right? So it was a different role for them just to sit in the room and listen. Like at, at first they were not, you know, the, the experts in the room and the ones who kind of had most of the mic time. Um, they were put in a, in, a, um, in a different role. And what we've heard continuously as we've used this process is that, you know, participants of, in all of the groups really appreciated this uh, facilitation technique to get at um, some of these tough issues and to really learn from each other in a, in a different way. And I'll add to that, Julie, I, I think a unique part with the format that we used, the modification was to get the farmers talking to themselves first, right, and listening. But then we did provide education in the um, later part of the morning on three different topics and with, you know, more of that formal lecture presentation. But then as we reconvened in the afternoon for more fishbowl conversation, it was like we all had that shared co-learning experience. We had just heard the same speakers with the same graphs, and that was became like a reference point to dig in a little bit deeper than just what have you observed on your farm. Okay, let's digest that national interna international information we just heard together. And I think um, that format really lends itself well for a lot of uh, candor conversation and even um, when we talked about possible motivations for making change, I think this technique is a little different than a regular focus group because you do have reactions that build off of what each other are saying, but there's this added pressure of being observed by this outside group. And so the conversation was just, um, it was just really rich and it had a lot of meaningful information in it. Yeah, I would echo everything that, uh, Julie and Cheryl just, just noted. Um, I think the other part that was really valuable about this methodology of the fishbowl is that um, when we're working with a potentially controversial issue like climate change, um, using this approach and allowing the, the stakeholders, the farmers and, and others in this case um, to start the conversation, allowed them to kind of set the tone. So it didn't feel like we had to uh, know going into the program sort of where they stood or where the boundaries were or what what kind of things might trigger uh, the controversy or conflict that sometimes comes along with an issue like this. Um, we were able to, to sit back and, and listen and kind of understand where they're coming from first and then uh, approach it from there. So, so that was, I think, very helpful um, to avoid uh, a breakdown in communication. Uh, or offending anybody uh, when you're dealing with a, a controversial issue like this. Um, and also just, just being able to sit back and, and be a listener and a learner, I think is really refreshing for people in extension. Um, I found in my, in my time with extension that some of the best educators are, the, are really the best listeners. Um, and, and oftentimes it's easy to forget that when we're the ones that are looked to, to provide uh, answers in many situations. So I, I uh, really enjoyed participating in the, in the fishbowl. And, you know, we, I think it's important to note that this is, you know, backed up by a lot of really good science. So we know from kind of science communication world and folks who look at things like wicked problems, that the role of dialogue is 
very important as we're trying to address really complicated and complex topics, things like climate variability or sustainability, etc. So, you know, it was um, a science-based method um, that allowed for this honest conversation. And I'm not going to read through all of our program evaluation, you know, but I think it, it speaks a lot that after this event, you know, we compiled the numbers or the series of events, 100% of our field crop producers agreed that the discussion format was a comfortable setting. And I think that really says something, right? Because we were actually talking about climate change and agriculture. And one of our talks was on nitrogen and, and the role of nitrogen in um, climate change um, as, as a really potent greenhouse gas, nitrous oxide. And so the fact that we could be talking about these things, um, not 100% said that this format was a comfortable setting, I think speaks to the power of it. And then they all 100% also agreed that the discussion was an effective way to gather information. So once again, it I think it really reflects like the importance of even peer-to-peer -peer learning um, as they were discussing climate change as a small group at the beginning of the day. Cheryl, is that something that um, is happening or being talked about more in your organization? I mean, uh, I'll just, just be kind of blunt about my organization like in, in you know I don't hear the words co-learning cooperative learning peer-to-peer -peer learning very much in my organization is that something that is being stressed at Michigan State or uh, something that's just kind of emerging through the work of folks like you um, I don't know if it's emerging across all topic areas I know our colleagues in agriculture and agribusiness um, are aware of this article and this technique that we've tried successfully and again part of that interdisciplinary team. Sometimes as a program evaluator I get nervous seeing 100% anything because I feel like maybe that wasn't a good question but um, I stand behind these results because I also feel like if the farmers didn't like it they would have told us that and so I think the results did speak to um, that the meeting was effective. And again, we asked them, would you want to engage in further conversations like this? And they said, yes. And we also asked if they were interested in collaborating with MSU researchers and, you know, many were. Um, and so I think, you know, that was the appropriate outcome for this type of conversation. We certainly don't expect people to go and immediately implement some changes based on the dialogue. But I think just having a comfortable and safe place um, something we haven't really touched on is um, the farmers and producers told us about future needs that they have from extension in relation to research and education. And they were very frank with us about sometimes the university is too slow and sometimes um, we need you to take faster action and, and help us collect data on the farm. So, um, you know, like with any good program evaluation, they tell you what they liked, and then they tell you how you can still improve. So I, I did appreciate that in the written comments that we got back. I think one thing that I find really hopeful is um, we just had a really great meeting with um, the director of Extension, so jo uh, Dr. Jeff Dwyer. He's been in... Um, in that role, I, I believe around two years, um, and a few of us from 
Michigan State University climate outreach team, met with him just to kind of share this kind of work that we've been doing, you know, reaching out to stakeholders on climate change. And um, he was very supportive. He asked us, you know, to, to go talk to more um, folks around campus and see what really is needed and how we can engage even more disciplines and then to come back and, um, you know, kind of share what we learned with him. So I think that th we have the support of the administration um, and, and I, I think that this kind of program and this peer-to-peer -peer learning is something that, that is valued by MSU Extension. James, one of the things that I found interesting about uh, how you guys uh, designed these was, um, you know, you mentioned the article that the conversations were framed in terms of climate variability um, as a way of creating space. Uh, I love that. Um, I've actually done some work with colleagues on just the idea of creating different kinds of spaces for, for dialogue. And I love this idea of creating space. Um, but I wonder, you know, um, was that uh, idea, um, did anybody think that, well, are we really just watering down the conversation by sort of, you know, we'll just talk about climate variability so we don't get to anything too sensitive? Yeah, I think you're uh, absolutely correct. I remember some very intentional conversations uh, in planning this program about um, specifically what terms do we want to use to frame this topic? Because I, I think uh, the words that we use matter a lot, uh, particularly around some of these complex and, and potentially controversial issues. So, yeah, we, we discussed, you know, um, do we, uh, as you say, you know, maybe go with the term climate change uh, in an effort to uh, be as sort of transparent and real about um, what the science is, is telling us uh, about this topic and, and making sure that we're not kind of skirting around the issue. Um, but I believe that we settle on climate variability for, for the reason that you suggest, that our, our primary concern was making sure that um, we had a productive, constructive dialogue with these different stakeholder groups and really allowed them to, to drive the conversation. And so um, it wasn't that we didn't get into the idea of anthropogenic climate change that certainly uh, came up. And we uh, heard various opinions on that back from, from the uh, participants that we were engaging with. Uh, but by starting with a uh, uh, discussion about climate variability from that kind of perspective, it allowed uh, people that don't necessarily uh, agree with the idea of anthropogenic climate change to still participate. And they talked about how, um, you know, they've seen uh, changes in the weather in some cases, you know, throughout their career in agriculture. And um, even though they think that this is maybe just more the same, um, that they're still working to address that. And uh, they're changing their farming systems and their technologies that they're using uh, to try to do a better job every day at simply uh, working around the weather, if, if that's as simple as it, as it may uh, be for them. So, um, yeah, it, it was a, a difficult choice. I think we went back and forth a couple of times on, on how to frame it and what terminology to use. Um, but that's kind of where we settled um, with, again, the primary focus being on making sure we had space for, for everyone to engage in the dialogue. Julie, what do you think, uh, what you learned and learned from this experience, what does it say about uh, the role of uh, extension in addressing complex issues like like climate adaptation or climate change? 
I think that extension has a very unique and important role in this space, in part because what we have repeatedly heard from the farmers who participated in these events, but in also other work um, that I've done and that others across the region have done is that Extension does continue to be a trusted source of information. It, it is in many instances seen as a, a nice bridge or a boundary organization that can have these conversations. Um, it, um, it's viewed as not having necessarily a vested interest, right? It's not um, um, trying to make money or, or whatnot off a certain technique or products, etc. I think that um, Increasingly, as we're, as we're dealing with the challenges of a changing climate and agriculture, as we're dealing with, um, you know, issues of water quality, soil health, um, resistance to weeds and pests, you know, a lot of these are very complex and, and they require a systems thinking. And I think extension can play a really vital role in facilitating these conversations. So bringing together the researchers. Bringing Bringing together the stakeholders, bringing together the, you know, the pediatricians who think about childhood asthma and how climate change is affecting that. Bringing together, um, you know, K through 12 teachers and, and helping them explain the science to their students, etc. I just think I think there's a, a a real great space for extension, and I and um, I think it has, uh, if I may dare say, a responsibility responsibility to be a sort of to create these spaces for communities to really dialogue about these complex problems that we're facing. Cheryl, what did you take away from the project that has affected, uh, that may have affected your work? I think this project really highlighted the value of participatory data collection. <laughs> so that's something that I share with other um, extension colleagues working in different fields than agriculture is you know, listen to your clientele, your customers, your end users of products, whoever that defined audience is. This technique um, is, a, is a great way, again, to document dialogue, because even if we go out and do good needs assessment, if we don't document that for the future or to share with other people, it can get lost or get siloed. And so I think um, this project also showed colleagues the value of taking something all the way to a publication to share with other extension audiences. We're learning great things here in Michigan. And just like this podcast, picking up the topic, now we can share what we've learned with other states. Yeah, regarding the participatory aspect, um, I absolutely agree with Cheryl. Um, something else that came out of this project that uh, sort of reinforced what I've what I've uh, seen in other programming that I've done is that some of the participants express interest in um, also engaging in research uh, with the support of Extension and and uh, the university. So um, I think that technology, uh, technology on the farm in terms of equipment's uh, ability to collect and record data and, uh, and uh, digital technologies that allow folks to share and analyze data, um, there's a real desire, I think, uh, in agriculture and uh, in other uh, citizen groups and other industries to uh, engage in science, to not just be uh, consumers of, of scientific information, the recommendations that come through more traditional channels of you know, research on campus and then uh, distribution of that information through extension, 
but um, farmers in many cases are wanting to generate their own uh, local data that's uh, super relevant to their context and their production system and, and use that in their decision making. And, and through uh, technology, as I mentioned, and through the support of uh, extension and participatory work like this, I think we can really make that happen and, uh, and move, move the needle uh, for these uh, sectors and, and the industry as a whole uh, by doing that. Uh, because, you know, we certainly learned through this project that there's not one solution, right? There's, it's not a one size fits all situation by any means. And so um, whether it is the, the sort of uh, perspectives or, or uh, philosophical positions that these different groups are coming from or the unique environments or production systems that they're working in, uh, we need to, to help uh, identify uh, adaptation solutions and, and uh, mitigation strategies that are suited to them. And so by engaging with them directly in research, uh, we can we can get that done. And I'll just add to that, James. Um, and I, th I think really key to making this kind of work impactful is having not only the support of you know your administration and whatnot, but robust longer term funding sources for this type of work. So we had great support from MSU Extension, our agricultural program. And we had some more support from the SARE program, which I had mentioned to host this program. What would be really cool is if we had sustained funding to go back to these same people, right? And say, okay, let's build kind of this collaborative um, shared learning space that we meet maybe a couple times every year over time and then start really tracking you know, our new collaborations formed, our, our practices changed, are there new understandings and insights and whatnot. And so really taking a long-term approach um, to this is, I think, key. And that's really hard to do without long-term funding. So um, I think that's something that we need to think really hard about, you know, as, a, as institutions, as society, how can we support some of these efforts over the long haul? Well, I want to thank you all for joining me uh, on the podcast today. It was an awesome conversation. I look forward to seeing your future work and talking to you more about this, uh, this kind of work. Uh, the article is called Using Dialogue to Engage Agricultural Audiences in Cooperative Learning about Climate Change, a Strategy with Broad Implications. You can find it at joe.org, the Journal of Extension. It's the April 2018 edition is where it appears. The authors joined us today, Julie Dahl, Outreach Specialist for the Kellogg Biological Station Long-Term Ecological Research Program and the Department of Plant, Soil, and Microbial Sciences at Michigan State University. Cheryl Eschbach, Evaluation Specialist for Michigan State University Extension. And James D. Decker, Field Crop Educator for Michigan State University Extension. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us, listeners. You can find out more about the podcast on the show notes. Uh, just go to bobbirch.com and you can find all the uh, episodes on soundcloud.com as well. Uh, please reach out to us on Twitter. It's at WDNEXT. You've been listening to the Working Differently in Extension podcast. Please join us again on our next episode. Have a great day.